Good, good morning to everyone. Well, it's a privilege for me to be able to be here and minister here at Hope City, and I'm excited about it. Um, first service, we had a few hiccups. Hopefully, I'll do a better job this time, okay? <clears throat> um, I want to tell you uh, a couple of things about my journey to come to Hope City. Um, uh, when I came here, I was a pretty broken Christian, a pretty broken man, and I was uh, hurt, and I had um, been hurt by the church. Um, one of the things that I don't do is I don't believe in putting church hurt and stuff like that on Facebook because one of my life verses, I didn't say this in the first service, but one of my life verses is, who can dwell on God's holy mountain? And it's in Psalms, and it says, he who swears to his own hurt and changes not. And if you want to be in the presence of God, people are always going to hurt you, but one of the things that you have to do is not let it change you. And I refuse to do that. One of the, you know, Jason, Pastor Jason said that he's um, glad that I would, as a former minister, would come here and be at this church. Well, one thing I would say to you is that um, I feel privileged to be here. It's, it wasn't a hard decision for me. And, um, and I'm just glad to be here. And there's three things that I notice about Hope City that I think you all might need to know from an outsider looking in. I've been here since August of last year. One of the things is, is that Pastor Jason and the associate pastors here, they are people of faith. Pastor Jason is a man of faith. Now, I've been to the ministries. You know, the thing about people is um, <clears throat> a lot of ministers, they like to be polished. You know, Lord, 10 years ago, um, I would be wearing a double-breasted suit with a red tie that, you know, you got to wear red because it's a power tie. You know what I'm saying? And um, But here I am in my T-shirt because I found at Hope City I can be me. And I can be, I don't, legalism, I don't think, I have not seen it, doesn't really exist here. And I also was talking to my wife last night, and one of the things that I said was to her is, you know, the early church, they didn't dress up for church. People came as they were, and they fellowshiped, because what was most important was the church and the connection between them, not the outward appearance that they showed. So Pastor Jason is a man that believes God and trusts God, and I've seen it. I've seen the church accomplish things. I see the way the people are in this church, and it takes faith for that to happen. And I've, I, when I came here, or when I was looking for a church, I was looking for a church that, was, that believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, the transformational power of the Holy Spirit, and that trusted God. And Pastor Jason definitely trusts God and believes God for the things that he can't do himself. And there's some, you know, I, I've talked to him and gotten some stories, and they've impressed the, uh, unbelievably impressive about how he believes God. I want to be in a church that trusts God. I want to, the second thing that I've seen is the associate pastors and staff, they're all happy. And yeah, I can tell you, I've been to churches where they weren't, where they were burdened down by the congregation. So what it tells me here is that you all love your, your pastors. 
And that means so much to me that I can be at a church where, because I'm going to tell you something. One of the scriptures that I, also, that I uh, talk about sometimes, even to my employees, obey those that have the rule over you as those that have to watch after your souls. For, um, so they can do it um, without grief. For if they do it with grief, it's unprofitable to you. There's nothing worse than a church that the pastors do their job out of grief. And this church, that doesn't happen. I love the staff here. And I love the way that they are just happy and willing to serve. And they love their jobs. And I think that's amazing. The third thing, and this is the most amazing thing because it... It is actually, I think, a result of the first two. Every time I talk to somebody, you know, people usually do small talk. Hey, how are you doing? My name is Robert. Yeah, nice to meet you. Da, 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 da. Then they go their ways. Every time I talk to somebody, well, my name is so-and-so, and here's my testimony. And here's what God has done in my life since I have attended Hope City. And here's what Jesus did for me. And here's the transformation, which is why I'm wearing this shirt. Because I'm going to tell you, when I came here, I was literally broken and wounded. And just a week ago, I had some people where I used to serve that actually had hurt me. And God, I saw one of them in the street. And uh, God said, pull over and talk to him. And I did. And we talked for an hour and a half. And the thing about it is, is I, at that moment, I forgave him. He never said, hey, I'm so sorry I did what I did to you. But I, forget, I just forgave him. Then the Lord said, one of my best friends, who I was estranged to because of also the way I was treated, I called him up and I said, hey, can we have lunch? We had lunch. Three hours. And had a great time. He never said, I'm sorry for the way I hurt you. Sometimes we're sitting here thinking that I will forgive so-and-so if so-and-so will apologize to me. And it doesn't work that way in Scripture. Forgiveness is, unforgiveness is a poison that will destroy your soul, whether the other person asks you to forgive them or not. You can literally forgive somebody, so that's what I did. And then as soon as I did that, I'm not kidding, the next day, Pastor Jason calls me and asks me to preach. And here I am, 60 years old, and I literally can change. I can lay down unforgiveness, and I can be the man that God called me to be. And if there's one testimony that I see in this church is that people are being changed and transformed. And I love that about this church. It is amazing to watch. So let us read the scripture again. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually, mark that word continually, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily. The amazing thing about the early church was that there were 12 disciples that made that were actually, when Jesus was crucified, they were lost, not in salvation, but just, what do we do now? I remember the first time I was on staff as a pastor, and I sat down at my desk on day one, and I looked around and thought, what do I do now? I was lost. They were lost. They had been disillusioned by the fact, even though Jesus told them, this is what's going to happen, they just didn't get it at the time. But then the day of Pentecost took place, And all of a sudden, things begin to change. And those 12 men meeting from house to house, taking meals together, um, devoting themselves to fellowship, to prayer, to um, the, the Word of God. Those 12 men, by 300 AD, whenever the church was Constantine made Christianity, the religion of the Roman Empire... They, some people speculate there were six million Christians. And this is how they did it. And so one of the things that we have to recognize is that um, what is fellowship? Because they can, in verse 42, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. And fellowship is very important. In our churches today, we don't say the word fellowship. We don't say the word koinonia, which is the Greek word for fellowship. What we say is community. And every culture has their own little buzzwords of things that they, that they use to describe what is in the Bible. Like it's not cool to say fellowship anymore, so we say community. But it's all the same thing. And the word fellowship, is the Greek word is koinonia, and it means partnership. So they devoted themselves. When you say, when the Bible says they devoted themselves to fellowship, that means that they put a lot of attention to it. They didn't just, they didn't just casually let it happen. They put effort into making sure that fellowship happened. Here's what it means to fellowship. It's partnership. In other words, the thing that God has called Hope City to accomplish, we are all partners in that. The thing that God has called the body of Christ to accomplish before he returns and this whole thing is over, we are partners in that. We are partners together individually with one another in just our lives. It's one thing that should separate the church from the rest of the world is this whole idea of community and fellowship. We should do it better than anyone because we actually have the pattern for how it works and how it was successful in the Bible. It means joint participation. We participate in each other's lives. And then, of course, I said community, but community is doing life together and meeting one another's needs. 
I coughed through the whole first service, so bear with me. Um, intimacy. Our relationships should be intimate. In other words, there is a, hey, my name is Robert. Hi, my name is Bill. And all of a sudden now, we never talk to each other again. That's not intimacy. Texting someone and say, love you, love you back. That's not intimacy. Intimacy is knowing someone very well. Like, I'll, uh, uh, you know, it's like you and your wife when you're married, you and your girlfriend when you're dating. You want to get to know that person. And in the intimacy that we should have in relationships should be an example for the rest of the world to see. And then intercourse, meaning we communicate. This is so important. We communicate in having communication and verbal interaction with one another. In other words, not through social media. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When I was at, um, at a church serving as a pastor, I had a young guy come up to me and says, I'm telling you what, Facebook is the wave of the future. I resisted as long as I could. But I have come to find out that Facebook is about as useless for me as anything because I'm the kind of person that I want to get to know Joe. I don't want to just say, hey, Joe, uh, my family's doing great. We just went swimming today. Love you. <laughs> There's no intimacy in that. And as I get to know Joe, I love this guy. He has really ministered to me. He's been one of the reasons why this healing, God has used him to help heal me. That's intimacy. That's not just superficial. That's Intimacy is when I can be transparent with you because I trust that you're not going to trample on my weaknesses. For instance, most of the time, I'm, I just remember, uh, people always, always, when I go to a church, they, they constantly misinterpret me. So when I went, first went to the last church I served at, I wore a double-breasted suit with a red tie. And I would always stand up against the wall like this because when people first get to know me, I'm very introverted. But then when they, get, when they do get to know me, they wish that I would go back to being introverted. I promise you that. Joe's probably saying, yeah, why don't you go back to that? <laughs> but the thing about it is, um, um, whenever we... Um, in order for us to have those relationships with one another... I've got to be real. I've got to be, able to, to, to be able to be me. And one thing that I love about this church is that I can be me, you can be you. And I don't hear the little talking, can you believe that Robert was so, uh, like this week was a rough week. Every time I preach, I get attacked the whole week. It's like, not, not only am I stressed out about this, the first time I've preached here, and I want to make sure that I do well, but then everybody, the devil is attacking me in every way that he can all week long, and then here I am trying to write a sermon. But that's real. I can sit up here and say, well, brothers and sisters, God has actually imparted to me a message that's phony. Look, I'm just a, I'm a painter, <laughs> for crying out loud. That's it. Nobody. Hopefully, God will minister to you. So, and the thing all about texting and social media is this. Studies have shown that since all of this social media stuff has come around, 
People are less connected now than they've ever been, yet there are more ways to be connected than ever before. And it's because the one thing that is missing is the intimacy that comes with actually talking to somebody face-to-face. Communication and verbal interaction are required to develop an intimate relationship. Do you think that you can be married to your wife or your husband and your only communication is through a text? Never, you're never going to know them. So it's important that we understand that we are a fellowship of believers and we need to fellowship with one another in the biblical sense and we will then become a model for the rest of the world to see. So there are three things necessary for biblical community to thrive in a church. The first one is loving one another. Secondly, welcoming the stranger. And thirdly, practicing hospitality. So let's talk about loving one another. Why is it so important for us to love one another in the body of Christ or in the church? And it's John 13, 34 through 3 says, A new commandment I give you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Number one, one thing that we need to remember about love is we throw this word around in like churches, Christians throw this word around. Hey, love you. Love you, brother. Love you. (laughs) Love you. The problem is... The problem is we don't always demonstrate that love in our actions because real love is demonstrated by how you act, not what you say. And for us to love one another, we have to back it up with our actions. I was listening to somebody the other day, and they were telling me how a minister um, in a church um, had some struggles in life, and he started drinking alcohol. And instead of the church helping him, they dismissed him and never talked to him again. Not one person called him. And, and the thing about it is, is that where's the love? Where's the love for somebody who is broken and fallen? Where, where is that at? And the thing about it is, is we got to remember, our, we, the way we act demonstrates love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not act boastful. Love does not seek its own. Love is. You read chapter 13 of Corinthians. It'll tell you exactly what love is. And those actions demonstrate that you love somebody. Love does not seek its own. Those actions demonstrate that you love somebody. So we need to love one another, number one, because it's commanded. Jesus commanded. He said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. And then also because Jesus demonstrated his love for us first. Now, this is kind of an interesting concept you probably never heard of. He loved us first. We didn't love him first. He loved us first. He drew us to him. So here's the way we are, though, because we're human. Here's the way we are as Christians. Well, I'll love him if he loves me. I'll forgive him if he confesses his sin. But the commandment says, love one another. Where do, if you're waiting for somebody to love you, and they're waiting for you to love them, and nobody does anything to move in that relationship, guess what? We don't ever, we don't ever connect. 
So you be the first. It's up to us. Jesus loved us first, so I should love others first. I should, I'm responsible for acting and practicing love towards somebody else because I'm accountable to God. If everybody will look inwardly and do that, we will love one another and we will look different than anything in the world and possibly many churches. It affects our witness. Do you notice that Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love towards one another. When we live, you know, loving one another, like I'll give you another example. We have to actually fix our problems. That's what loving one another is, that we work through our situations and we don't take them out here. You know, most people, what they do, and I'll be honest with you, in this church, I've not seen this at all. And this is what's amazing to me because most churches you go to, if I was to talk about my weakness, they would say, did you hear about Robert? He's like this. I don't even know how they can let him preach. I mean, he's insecure. He struggles with this, this, and this. Why would they even let him preach? And the reality is, is that when people see that, and I tell you the truth, I have had, I witnessed the number one dis- argument that I get when I witness to people about why they don't want to serve the Lord is what they see in the church. And I'm going to tell you this, <clears throat> as we love one another, we will stand out and our witness will shine. We will look like the light of the world that we're supposed to be. They'll know that you are his disciples by your love for one another which requires that we act, which requires that we work out our differences and we are proactive in how we interact with one another. And then love bonds us together and creates unity. It says in Colossians 13, um, 12 through 14, so... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against one, anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity." Do you know that when we practice loving one another, the reason why I say that is because love is a verb, not necessarily um, just a word that sits there with no action. When we practice loving one another and we practice our faith in working on our relationships and building our intimacy, do you know what ends up happening? It creates unity. It creates a bond, and that's what you saw in the early church is they were all in one accord. They were all together. They were all on the same page. You wasn't going to, you wasn't going to, and they dealt with the people that wanted to disrupt that. And so loving one another builds a bond of unity that, can't, that looks different because, you know, out in the world, everybody backbites everybody. But if we, like, wait a minute, uh, you can't talk about that person. They're, they're one of my friends. We go to church together. They're a great person. 
John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. So it's easy to say I love you, but it's not easy to live it out. And what we need to do is be living it out in our lives with one another. The second thing we need to do is welcome the stranger. If you turn to Mark 18, 28 through 35, it says this. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? That word foremost means what is the most important, the first thing that we should do? What commandment is the foremost? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your, with all your mind, with all your strength. I'm going to tell you, if we love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul and strength, everything within us, we love God. Guess what we will do? We will obey his word. We will be transformed by his word. We will be changed we will love one another, and the church will be stronger than it's ever been. Everything starts with loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then it says the second is, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than the two of these. So when um, the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him questions anymore. And Jesus began to say as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes and the say that the Christ is the son of David? Well, I'll tell you what, I wish I had the power to talk to somebody in such a way that I shut them up. Because some people really do need to be quiet. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus shut them down. Why? Because he answered them. You know, he answered them with scripture. And what's interesting about that scripture that says that um, you shall love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting that from the Old Testament. Um, <clears throat> and when he is the, um, well, let me just go back. The importance of those commandments is, first of all, the second is like the first. And Jesus was saying that these two commandments are equally important. So the second one is like the first, so they are equally important. And by the way, God made it very easy for us to live as Christians. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That covers a lot of things in our lives. And love your neighbors as yourself. That covers a whole lot of people. And what I'm saying is, if we can just follow those two, but yet we try to make it more complicated because we add this, we add that. Yes, you need to do that, and here's what you got to do. You have to do this, and you have to. But he only gave us two commandments. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, guess what? You're going to love your neighbor. If you, gotta, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to love one another 